We're going to get into the word today and what I'm talking about this morning is the new covenant kingdom and we have been going through a series on the new covenant and so we've talked about the new covenant blood, the new covenant cross, we've talked about new covenant life, today we're going to talk about the new covenant kingdom and so I think this is important because as we understand there are several aspects of covenants that are described to us in the Bible. And one of the things that is so very popular are the old covenants. And there's a covenant made with Abraham. There's a covenant made with David. There's a covenant made with Israel. There was a covenant that came through Moses. The prophets prophesied of a new covenant that I'm going to give to you. And so just very carefully and quickly, I would like to describe these covenants and Jesus Christ returning to earth to fulfill all of the covenants. He is going to do that. He is the fulfillment of every one of them. And so we know that the kingdom of God is going to be ruled by Jesus forever. The kingdom will be ruled with judgment and justice. It is a real government. Jesus' disciples will administer the land of Israel. The faithful servants of Jesus will administer cities throughout the new kingdom of God. The saints will rule and reign with the Messiah during the millennium. The saints will continue to reign with Jesus forever in the kingdom and in the new earth. The kingdom will be ruled from the city of Jerusalem. The kingdom will be a governing territory. The covenants made to Israel, the people of God, the seed of Abraham is an earthly people, earthly blessings, the, um, the uh, promise to be a nation. And in that nation, they're promised a land, a kingdom and a king. The promises to the church. And I want to make this very clear. The church does not replace Israel. Israel still has its purposes and place and plans with God in covenant that is fulfilled. It was a covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is fulfilled. It's going to be forever. And so the church doesn't replace Israel. But in a way, the church is able to partake in a relationship with God through faith that Abraham enjoyed. And in that relationship with God, then we are the church. And our promise and our covenant is that we are a heavenly people. Whereas Israel is given an earthly possession, we are given a heavenly possession. Israel is given an earthly kingdom. We belong to a heavenly kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we look for God to come and get us. We are a royal priesthood. We are the body of Christ. We are promised eternal life to rule with Christ on his throne, to live in the heavenly Jerusalem. We are kings and priests of the Lord, ambassadors. We are friends of God, sons and daughters of God, citizens of a new race in heaven. Right now, Israel has not obtained what it has sought after, this relationship with God, because they are trying to find salvation through the law. And that that will never be given. No one will ever be justified by the law. So right now, Israel as a nation is hardened to Jesus Christ and hardened to the gospel of grace because they have turned with a stiff neck away from this because they are committed to try to live by these laws and these ceremonies that have come out of Judaism. 
When Jesus returns to earth at the end of the tribulation, at the battle of Armageddon, when he returns to earth, Israel will look upon him whom they pierced and they will believe in Jesus at that moment as their Messiah and they will be saved and born again. And therefore they will live in that kingdom of God, the Israeli kingdom in this earth that Jesus is going to reign over. Now for us as Christians in this new covenant, we are in relationship with God now. We're his sons and daughters now. We're his friends now. And we have this relationship with him. We are joined in this kingdom because we have an intimate relationship with the king who is Jesus Christ. The history of Jesus is our history Jesus's experience is my experience. His death is my death. His burial is my burial. His resurrection is my resurrection. And so this is my experience in life. I am in him. I am clothed with him. We are, Jesus and I are inseparable. And if you are in this kingdom of God, the new covenant, you're inseparable with Jesus. Everything, the entire work that needs to be done in me as a person to be able to be with God and stand before God and live with God has been accomplished in Jesus Christ and through his blood. And I want to give you a few scriptures of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I just want to go through these, so turn there quickly if you will. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says this in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Nobody's going to stand before God and pronounce their own self-righteousness. What do you need to stand before God? You need holiness. And that's what sanctification is. It's holiness. And so Jesus is made unto you holiness. You need righteousness. Jesus is made unto you righteousness. You need wisdom because wisdom, that is the fear of the Lord. And Jesus is made unto you wisdom. And you need redemption because you have fallen from God into sin. And Jesus has been made unto you redemption. Everything you need to be with God, Jesus is for you. He is that for you. And I pray that you get that and understand it. In Romans chapter 8, this beautiful chapter tells us this, and I believe it's worth reading, and I think it is certainly worth remembering for us. He says in verse 30 of Romans 8, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. That's a done thing. It's done. That those that, that God has predestinated, predestinated. Now we're not Calvinists here. So we're not talking about that type of predestination that Calvinists do. The predestination tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the predestination is that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's our destiny. To be made like him. But right now, we are called, we are justified, we are glorified through Jesus Christ. And that is done. 
And I pray that we would be able to rest in that. The next scripture is in Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you to see this because there's a rest for us who have come into the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, he tells us in, in verse 10, Hebrews 10, 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Our sanctification is once and for all. In these previous scriptures we've read, we see that Jesus has made this unto us, that God has already justified us and glorified us. Here we find that Jesus is our sanctification once for all. And the meaning is this in verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, praise God, Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now, you and I know that we're not like Jesus right now. We know that there are many conflicts in our life that do not represent or act or behave like Jesus would. But in our faith, we are in relationship with God. And if Jesus Christ in his blood cannot remove your sins, then you are doomed. But Jesus has dealt with our sins through his blood once and for all. And therefore, we are made right with God. And the sanctification or the setting apart as holy is there for us. And just very quickly go to Hebrews chapter 2. And notice this in verse 11. For both he that sanctifies and us, they who are sanctified, are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So we are identified in Jesus Christ. He is our life. It's not church that we go to. It's not self-improvement. It's not trying to make myself better or try to make myself to be more like Jesus. But it is the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life, convicting us, helping us, and teaching us how to become or let the life of Jesus really live in us. And so I want to talk about this kingdom, the kingdom of the new covenant. And everything that Satan is trying to do is to get me off of the ground of this kingdom of the new covenant. This kingdom is a powerful kingdom that cannot be overthrown. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is an eternal kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, though there are those who may rival it, he has no rival. There will not be anybody that can overthrow his kingdom or his throne. So what does the devil have to do if he's going to try to gain some type of an advantage over us? Well, if we stand on kingdom ground, he can do nothing. So what he tries to do is move us off of that ground onto a a carnal ground. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God. And so our life has to be mighty through God. And we have to stand on God's ground. We have to stand. If we're not standing on God's ground, then we're trying to get victory. 
But if we stand in Christ, we have victory. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, this victory is ours and it is made real through the Holy Spirit. But there is a rival kingdom against the kingdom of God or against the new covenant kingdom. There is a rival kingdom. There's not kingdoms as many. It's not Russia, it's not North Korea, it's not North Vietnam, it's not China. It's not, these are not rival kingdoms, it's just one. And that is the principalities and powers of darkness. This is the kingdom that seeks to rival the kingdom of God in every area. This is found in Ephesians chapter 2, and he tells us this in verse 2. He says, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So there is this spiritual kingdom. We don't fight flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. This spiritual kingdom is a satanic kingdom that can operate through human government. But that kingdom is not many. It is one. And it is Satan rivaling this kingdom. And Satan wants us to stand on carnal ground. To get out of Satan's kingdom and into the new covenant, you must be born again. That's the only way. You will never enter the kingdom of Jesus Christ any other way than being born again. You can join church. You can give money. You can do good for the rest of your life. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Jesus says this in John chapter 3. He makes it very clear as a great religious man who is very devout, probably outwardly more holy than any of us, comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him in verse 3 of John 3, he said to this man, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus doesn't understand this. How can I be born again? And Jesus said in verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so, beloved, I say this to you, if there's really only two kingdoms... And one is the kingdom of God and the other is the kingdom of darkness. And the only entrance you have into the kingdom of God is the new birth. Then it ought to be the most concentrated, energetic, passionate thing you could ever do in your life is to make sure you get into the kingdom of God. And that you break all ties with the kingdom of darkness. And thank God, entrance into that kingdom is not through works, but it is through faith. So anybody can come and there's no obstacles in coming. If you would put your faith in Jesus Christ, you could come. This new birth produces a new creation, a new creature, a new kingdom, a new world. And that is the world that we step into. Paul says in Galatians chapter six, which I do want to read. He makes this comment about the cross of Jesus. And he says here in 
Galatians 6, verse 14, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, by whom, not it, but by whom the world is crucified to me and I unto the world. So Paul celebrates what happened at the death of Jesus. And as we have taught through this new covenant, that Jesus was not merely a substitutionary death, but Jesus is the identity of my life in death, in burial, and in resurrection. I would say that the majority of American Christians would point to the cross as a place where the Son of God died for our sins. Beloved, if you did not die with him on that cross, you're still in your sins. And that is an act of faith. The Bible says in the book of James that even the devils believe in Jesus. But every one of them will perish. And so our faith must be in the fact that Jesus Christ not only died for me because of the sins that I had committed, but God, through a supernatural act of God alone, God was able to join me in the death of Jesus so I don't get away with anything. All of my sin was judged. All of my sin was paid for. I was buried. And when Jesus rose from the dead... I rose from the dead in a new life that is free from condemnation or the wrath of God. And the law cannot be applied to me anymore because that would be double jeopardy. I paid for my crimes in the death of Jesus. I'm free. And this is something that has to happen in your life and not just a empty confession that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins. You have to be able to come to Galatians 6 and rejoice with the Apostle Paul that, thank God, through the cross of Jesus, by him, I'm separated from the world, and the world is separated from me. I will no longer be judged with this world because of the cross of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And that is for everyone. So what was done at the cross? The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, and we're talking about coming into this kingdom of God. In Colossians chapter 2, he tells us in verse 10, For you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Isn't that wonderful? You are complete. He's made unto you, right? Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Right? You're complete. He has sanctified you through his blood. You're, you, you are ready. If you're born again, you are ready to meet God. You're ready. You're complete in him. There's nothing lacking. Jesus has left nothing out. There might be a lot of work that has to happen in your life. But look, even at the rapture, what? You're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And everything you're battling today, you'll never battle again. God can so wipe that out. He just chooses to allow us to struggle so our faith grows. So you're complete in him. He is the head of all principality and power. Why would you want to belong to the world's kingdom? Why would you want to belong to Satan's kingdom? Jesus has defeated him. And so he says this, in whom also you are circumcised. Now this is important. I I pray that you would 
see this. God help us see this. You are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And you know what circumcision is? It's just the cutting off of that foreskin, that outer layer of skin. And so it's a, it's a very tedious cutting of just a little bit of the skin. But listen to this. You are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. This is not a human circumcision. This is not a circumcision of your bodily flesh. And what happened was it put off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Wait, what was the circumcision of Christ? He says in verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. And you, back to the circumcision, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, praise God, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance, that's the law, which was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way. The law is out of the way now if you're in the new covenant. He nailed it to his cross and he spoiled principalities and powers and he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. And so what Jesus and happened and God caused to happen at the cross is when Jesus was crucified, that was his circumcision. And in his circumcision, we were circumcised. God, it's the operation of God. And and I don't expect that in this life I will ever fully understand this. But I believe it. That when Jesus was crucified, God cut the body of sin off of me. And put it with Jesus on the cross. And everything else that was against me. That was contrary that I could not do. And completely swallowed it up in judgment and wrath. And when he was buried, I was buried. And when he rose, I rose with him in a new life. And, and that is, that is the beauty of why Paul celebrates the cross of Jesus Christ. That through death, he destroyed the power of death. And that is the beauty of it. At the cross of Jesus, we were atoned for by the blood. Death was met, confronted, and by death he defeated death. He crushed the power of Satan's kingdom. He made a new race of people. The Holy Spirit was sent into the world to indwell men. He removed every hindrance for anyone who wants to come to God. He perfects and sanctifies those who come to him. He has removed and forgiven us of our sins forever. And he has opened up for us a way to live in the presence of God. Calvary wiped out an old order and produced a heavenly people. Jesus rose as the first begotten from the dead of a new species. The cross is not simply about death. It's about defeat. The cross is the defeat of the old order and the beginning of a new order. It is about life, liberty, and the kingdom of God. And I I want to read Hebrews chapter 13. You can just listen to it. But he says in verse 10, we have an altar. Whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. And he goes on in 13 and says, our altar is Jesus and his cross. Verse 12, Jesus, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Let's go to him. 
outside the gate, outside the camp, and let's bear his reproach. Our altar is the cross of Jesus. And those that still try to serve the tabernacle or the law, you have no right to this altar. You can't serve them both. It's either the new covenant altar or the old covenant altar. If we come to the new covenant altar, then let's go all the way. Let's be joined to Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer writes this about the cross. The cross of Christ is the most revolutionary thing ever to appear among men. The cross of the old Roman times knew no compromise. It never made concessions. It won all of its arguments by killing its opponent and silencing him for good. When he was alive, he was alive when they hung him on that cross and completely dead when they took him down six hours later. That was the cross, the first time it appeared in Christian history. The power of the cross cross transforms. Its power changed bad men into good ones. All this it did and continued to, so long as it was permitted to remain what it had been originally, a cross. Its power departed when it was changed from a thing of death to a thing of beauty. When men made of it a symbol, hung it around their necks as an ornament, not that it's wrong to do that, or made its outline before their faces as a magic sign to ward off evil, then it became at best a weak emblem. As such, it is revered today by millions who know absolutely nothing about its power. It wins by defeating its opponent and imposing its will on him. It always dominates. It never compromises, never dickers, nor confers, never surrenders a point for the sake of peace. It cares not for peace. It cares only to end its opposition as fast as possible. So the cross not only brings Christ's life to an end, it ends also the first life, the old life of every one of his true followers. It destroys the old pattern, the Adam pattern in the believer's life and brings it to an end. Then the God who raised Jesus from the dead raises the believer and a new life begins. This and nothing less is true Christianity. A shallow and worldly leadership would modify the cross to please the entertainment mad saintlings who will have their fun even within the very sanctuary. But to do so is to court spiritual disaster and risk the anger of the lamb turned lion. We must do something about the cross and one of two things we can only do. Flee from it or die on it. And if we should be so foolhearted as to flee, we shall by that act put away the faith of our fathers and make of Christianity something other than it is. Then we shall have left only the empty language of salvation. The power will depart with our departure from the true cross. If we are wise, we will do what Jesus did, endure the cross and despise its shame for the joy that is set before us. To do this is to submit to the whole pattern of our lives to be destroyed and built again in the power of an endless life. Don't you want a new life? And we shall find that it is more than poetry, more than sweet hymnody and elevated feeling. The cross will cut into our lives where it hurts worst, sparing neither us nor a careful cultivated reputation. It will defeat us and bring our selfish lives to an end. The changed attitude toward the cross that we see in modern orthodoxy 
proves not that God has changed, nor that Jesus has eased up on his demand that we carry the cross. It means rather that the current Christianity has moved away from the standards of the new covenant. So far have we moved indeed that it may take nothing short of a new reformation to restore the cross to its rightful place in theology and in the life of the church. And I believe in this hour that is what God is doing through the grace and the gospel of grace being preached and heralded all over this world at this time. So I want to say this to you. The entrance into this kingdom is the new birth. And this new kingdom has come forth through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the new covenant kingdom. It is a little bit different or a lot different from the kingdom that is promised to David. But this is a heavenly kingdom and a heavenly people. And actually it produces a new race of people, a new species. You see, when Jesus died and rose again, aliens actually were on this earth. It, it was us. Honestly. Now, the first Corinthians chapter 15 speaks of this. And I want you to see it. And I'm not trying to be, you know, really weird UFOs and all of that. But we are a new species of people. And in first Corinthians 15, and that's why people find Christianity so strange and say, I could never be a Christian. I just couldn't live that life. And well, none of us could either. You know, if, if you don't become a new creature, who could live this life? Nobody could. But you become a new creation. And so he says in verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Some people say, well, I don't understand that because Jesus wasn't the first resurrected man. But he was the first man resurrected in a glorified body. So he's the first fruits of those that are raised from the dead. Everyone else that was raised from the dead would be raised to die again. Jesus was raised to never die again in a glorified body. So he's the first fruits. That just simply means that those that will follow Jesus in the resurrection will have a body like his. He told us that. I don't have a body of flesh and blood, but of flesh and bone. And we will have a body like his. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. That's why you got to get out of Adam and get into this kingdom through the new birth. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Isn't that beautiful? It's, it's just the power of Jesus Christ. But every man in his own order Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ, it is coming. Verse 42 says this. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And then verse 48 says, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And we are now the heavenly people who are still on earth. We're different. We're born again. The spirit of God lives in us. We're different than anyone else. Not because we made ourselves different. But because we became new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, through our faith. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall. Praise God. We shall. That's assurance. 
That's confidence. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. We shall bear the image of the heavenly. We shall be like him. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. But I show you a mystery. This is the rapture. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And if you want victory, put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, I just want you to understand it. And I've got to, I've got to stop here. Call if you go, you don't, are you Anna? Like, wait, piano's gone. Okay, we'll get through this. Um, So what I want you to understand is this. So we are, if we're born again, if we really are, and I, 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 I beg you to really search your heart and your faith to make sure that you are. Because many, many people in Christian churches have not experienced the new birth. And what a detriment to... Have Jesus say to you, like Matthew 7, I never knew you. Oh, but Lord, I prophesied in your name and I did wonderful works in your name and and all of that. I never knew you. Whoa, what a tragedy. So please make sure that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're trusting in the operation of God to bring my judgment to an end through his cross and you get new life. Now, if you're born again, and you're in the kingdom of God, you're very aware of struggles in your life. You're very aware of difficulties. You're very aware of how unlike Jesus you really are. But thank God I'm not occupied with how much I'm not like Jesus, with how much I'm occupied with Jesus to make me like him. I don't have the power to change myself, but I have the faith to work And labor in the grace of God to change me. And so I'm progressively changing. I'm I'm, I'm progressively changing. I can see the work of grace in my life. I can see things that God is doing to humble me. I can see things that God is doing to deal with my pride. And this gives me peace. And it gives me joy. That my heavenly father really is at work in my life and he's changing me and I'm not the same but I'm very aware of my corruption and I might die drop dead and you have to bury me and what you're doing is you're putting corruption into the ground now my soul goes to be with the Lord that new man that's born of God goes immediately to be with the Lord But this corruption goes into the ground. But one day, when God decides and Jesus is in the clouds and the rapture happens and the twinkle of an eye, Lee Ship's coming up, not with corruption, but an uncorrupted, incorruptible body. Not with mortality, but immortality. 
and not with the propensity to sin, but I will have a new and glorified body like his. I'll never be tempted again. You will never be tempted again. And and that is my hope in this new covenant kingdom that my king is the one who fights these battles and defends his kingdom and takes care of his citizens. And I am indeed his citizen. And so I thank God for the work of grace. And we want that work of grace to happen. Because if you're really in the grace of God and in the new covenant, you're not sitting passively by thinking, oh, well, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to work. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to go to church or go to prayer meetings. None of Because none of that matters. No, no, no. None of that will get you into the kingdom. But all of those things are kingdom matters. And if the new life of Jesus comes into you, that is a priority of the Holy Spirit. And now it's no longer the works of the flesh to go to church and read my Bible and pray. And, but now I'm in fellowship with the Father. And He is prodding me joyfully in this new life that He has called me to. Maybe I don't pray like I should. Maybe I don't read my Bible like I should. Well, guess who's going to be dealing with me? The Holy Spirit. He's going to be dealing with me. He's going to let me know. I miss you. You haven't been with me. You've said prayers, but you haven't prayed. You've talked about my presence, but you haven't been in it. I miss you. And those words, however he speaks them, because if, if, if men talk to us like that, we'd get mad. Holy Spirit talks to you like that. You're just like, oh, God. You're so right. And you just confess. And he forgives you. And he brings you right into his presence. And he gives you the strength. He doesn't He doesn't just put you all the way to the back. But he gives you the strength to just keep walking with him. He's so beautiful. This king and this kingdom is so beautiful. Please make sure you're in it. Please. One of the greatest evidences, if not the greatest evidence, that you're in the kingdom of God is the spirit of the kingdom. Romans chapter 8, for the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of this world, not the spirit of bondage, but the spirit of freedom and liberty from God has come inside of you crying, Abba, Father. And he is the one true witness that you're right with God. Not your works, him relationship, fellowship with him. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your wonderful, wonderful provisions and your gospel and your power to save and your regard for Jesus and his blood and his sacrifice, that it is enough, more than enough for all of us. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would just Give us an opportunity this, this in this moment to really search our heart and our faith and to make sure that we are in the faith. And if you're not, and you're not sure, this needs to be the greatest endeavor of your life. Not in your mental capacity, but in your faith, you need to put your life into the hands of God. And you need to trust that Jesus bore not only your sin, but your life 
And when he rose, you rose. Ask the Holy Spirit to make that real to you. And I pray your blessings upon the people, Father, and for those that would just cry out to you even now. Lord, save me. Let me be a part of your kingdom. I want to live under your rulership and not the devil's. I don't want to be judged with this world. I want to be with Jesus. Help me. I don't understand it all, but I believe it, and I believe you can. And in my life, Lord, please do.